random encounter at a broadcasting facility. A shared interest and love of all things Marvel. Excelsior! A misinterpreted program title. And behold, a podcast is born. Peter Melnick. Podcaster and comic book enthusiast. And Eddie Wilson! Upstate New York radio announcer, still with an inordinate amount of catching up to do. Peter! What are you doing? Here we go with a new episode of The Marvelists. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. And joining us on the other end of the tin cannon string, we are joined with the Steve Orlando of comics. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Orlando. Best intro I've ever gotten. Thank Thank you. you. I'm sorry to hear that. (laughs) Now, Steve, you got some stuff coming out over at the House of Ideas. First off, before we even talk about the new stuff, it's appropriate that uh, it was released in right in time, kind of, the Darkhold event. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, imagine if the pandemic hadn't happened and things had come out uh, in their expected order. It would have been even more deft. Um, <laughs> but I, um, I feel like we've been... I feel like... And, Last time we talked, all I could do was tease that, and now it's out, and people finally uh, see that, uh, you know, it's almost like there was a plan. Uh, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, Dark Darkhold is out. It seems like I had, uh, I kind of knew what I was talking about uh, after last weekend's movie debut, and I really couldn't be happier about it. And, you know, when it, I was going to ask, I don't know if you'd be privy to say it, but in regards to, uh, like, do they give you, like, hints of, hey, you should start writing this, because reasons. I, I wish I could say that that happened, but um, it was all, I mean, at least in the case of uh, similarities with themes and things to Multiverse of Madness, it was all a happy accident. Like, you guys always will get the truth from me. Um, now, you know, was that the motivation to why they, you know, there was a push to do a Darkhold-centered book? Uh, maybe, you know, like, it would seem to make sense, especially based on when it was supposed to come out and things like that, but... It's funny because there's a lot of the things that are similar came from me, and I had no knowledge what was going to be in that movie. I mean, Dark, like Black Bolt being that book, for example, that's because I just love being humans in Black Bolt. So you can imagine my surprise when I sat down and watched him um, uh, appear, I guess we'll say, without spoiling anything else. Uh, and, and, and and that goes for a lot of things, and a lot of, a lot of things that sort of lined up. But, yeah, I mean... Um, I think much like at DC, they folks just kind of want to let us do the best work we can, and and when it when it does align, great. But you want things to rhyme. You don't want things to exactly mirror each other because obviously there's stuff you can do better in a movie, and there's stuff you can do better in a comic. So I was kind of happy with. I was very happy with where things landed, even though uh, you know anyone who has like a Charlie Day like conspiracy board up there will be working forever because they're they're. <laughs> It's all, there was no, like, sort of mandate on the book. Everything just sort of worked out. Uh, In the the words of one of my collaborators in the Essendon office, uh, one of their favorite phrases is, never didn't have it. And uh, I'd love to say (laughs) that that we were coordinated from the beginning, but it really was just a happy accident. But I'm taking it, you know, uh, and and I'm going to run with it. Who would you say is Pepe Silva in the Marvel Universe? Pepe Silva? Yeah, Charlie's Conspiracy Board. Who is Pepe Silva? Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ. Uh, no, he, that's who it... Oh. 
Well, remember. That's what it is. No, you know, we did establish that he was a mutant. That's a joke, by the way. Uh, characters can lie and be sarcastic in comics, mm-hmm. especially when Kieran writes them. Uh, but, oh, uh, God, who's the conspiracy guy? Uh, no, it's got to be Jonah, right? He's got one of those somewhere. 100%. Now, in regards to some of the stuff that's been coming out, you ended up teaming up with AEW superstar Nyla Rose. And first off, how the hell did that come about? And holy crap, that was neat to see that team up. Like, I'm like, I literally saw the book. I'm like, I know them. I know them. And that's the end of that story. Uh, I mean, so Nyla and I were acquainted with each other just from talking on social media. And we talked about doing an interview uh, for another project that didn't really come to pass. Um, in any real way, you know, like probably in 2020. So we've gone back and forth. And then, you know, when we found out, we were thinking about what could be the, you know, one of the guests from Trial of Magneto. And when the room, uh, when it came to the room that Thunderbird was going to come back, you know, the thing about these returns is that you, you have to do something with them. You know, the same as creating an original character, like, pardon me, like it was Somnus. Um, uh, you know, once the character is back, it's like, okay, they're back. Amazing. What now? Mm. Uh, and so we knew we wanted to do something to build off it. And the thing was, if we're going to do it, especially with the first one of Marvel's first native characters, the first X-Men to die on the team, we had to do it right. Uh, and so we knew we wanted to bring together a team that had, you know, the best, the most native perspective possible. Uh, this is how David Cutler joined. But then I thought, you know, it was right after either a pay-per-view or, or just it might have just been after a Friday when she was on. But I remember that Nyla had came out in Mystique, like her gear was Mystique-inspired. And so I messaged her. I mean, first I brought it up to the editors, like Jordan White and Sarah Brunstad, and I was like, hey, what if I reach out to Nyla? We're acquaintances, uh, not really friends I, at the time, but we, we know each other. What if I reach out to her about writing this with me? Because, you know, wrestling is very much like comics and storytelling style. Her character uh, is also not that unlike John Proudstar Thunderbird in general, uh, so it just felt like a right fit provided she was interested. So I sent her a DM that I feel like everybody or nobody thinks they'll get until they're getting it, which is, hey, do you want to write an X-Men comic with me? Uh, and she and she replied very quickly, as you might imagine. Uh, so, I mean, and we sort of picked it up from there. You know, we, we got on the phone. I caught her up on uh, so much, yeah, so much, uh, since she hadn't read House of X yet. But in no time, you know, we were talking about the character, talking about story, and by just, just by complete chance, it was two weeks before uh, the first, well, the second successful AEW Boston show. So it's successful because they were supposed to come during the pandemic and didn't come the second time. Uh, so she came, and we ended up meeting up after their uh, after the live show, the tapings, and at 2 a.m. the book was born uh, in, in in Cambridge. But honestly, like a lot of things, it all comes down to to just you know. The boldness of, uh, of 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 being able to reach out on social media and 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 getting the approval on the on the work side with Marvel, but it was everything just went really easily with this book. Like people have been super excited about it, but it was just a click from day one. Everybody, Marvel was on board, Nyla was on board, David, Nyla, and myself, especially those two, were working in perfect sync. And I think the proof is in the book. You know, like it's and people are still talking about it weeks later and. I don't. Uh, I don't think I've written a book with such a uniformly good response. So, uh, so we're very proud of what we did. And you know, it's it's funny because Nyla is a you know personality in professional wrestling that I've known for years, and it's it's cool to see her you know her rise in professional wrestling over the last few years. You know, I remember her uh, as a 
as I lovingly say, my favorite shit poster in social media where just random goofy stuff she would post. <laughs> and like now, you know, she's, you know, she is all elite. She keeps, she laughs every time I tell her, but I think she is the best. When it comes to internet skills, I think she is the number one wrestler when it comes to being good at the internet. Like, like I, I, I praise her ability there all the time because I mean, she's a great, obviously she's a great worker. She's a great character. But because of who she is, she obviously gets a lot of shit. And she has this amazing ability to bury someone in an instant, but never in a way that reflects poorly on her. Uh, and and I'm, I'm impressed with it almost daily because she is, uh, when it comes to social media, she is undoubtedly the queen, in my opinion. My favorite thing about her is uh, she left uh, Facebook, then came right back and used an alternate name. And the alternate name is the funniest pun name I've ever heard and as I'm saying it right now ladies and gentlemen in the audience you're going to hear me bleep it but is the funniest name I've ever heard in my life for wrestling <laughs> so because oh, Eddie the, the, there's a wrestling move called a ah well okay so you know it, it made it made like I was I, I get that joke I, I got that joke on the car ride home it's, it's pretty good but <laughs> it, it's funny because again Nile is a big deal in wrestling, and it's it's again it's just cool to see so many you know people that are fans of this go off and be involved with this too in the realm of comics, you know. Yes, and you, the thing is, is that like, I mean, in my case, it comes it, we it was Marvel and me taking a big swing and reaching out to her, but that's the only way shit gets done, you know. Uh, if we we always you, you were talking asking about coordinating with the movie and things like that in regards to Darkhold, we got always got to go bigger and offer something more, something you couldn't have on TV or in movies and, and things like the Spoke with Nyla are perfect examples. You know, just even from a logistical standpoint, it would it would be hard say that say say that we want to do a Thunderbird TV show. Probably would have been hard to get that commitment from her, but you know the the economics of comic production are such that yeah we can make this happen, we can get it out there, and we can do something big and different that nobody expects. To me, especially in the X Men office and especially in Marvel, like that's the way you got to swing. You know, there's no choking up in the bat. I don't have any other sports metaphors. You know, I did swimming in high school and college, but uh, but you got to go big. And and in this case, at least uh, it was. I I feel like everybody won. I feel like one of us should at least use, like, you know, just reference High Lie for some reason. Just, you know. <laughs> or maybe, you know, uh, lacrosse with the uh, little net. I love that thing. <laughs> Do you? High Lie, the, the, the new universe of sports. In that it was oh, my God. Years ago. <laughs> <laughs> That's a per- that is a perfect comparison. I, I enjoy that. <laughs> um, in regards to, you know, different universes, though, in the Marvel Universe, you know, there is new universe, there's ultimate, there's this, there's that. But the one that so many people have fond memories of, especially as, you know, kids of the 90s, 2099, and you're going to be involved with something involving that line. I'm, I'm very involved. I'm the writer. Uh, yeah, no, I, I, the funny thing is uh, I've always been a huge 2099 fan. And look, the thing is, like, we all come in these books and we're like, oh, I've always loved this character. Uh, how can you always love every character? Maybe it's because you're part of a marketing plan. But the reality <laughs> is true in my case. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I love them. I'm just the right age. You know, I was seven when the series launched. Uh, and that shit was cool as hell to me. You know, like top to bottom, by the way. Even the characters now are kind of like, yeesh. Um, you know, how do you get somebody buckles on your back? <laughs> but, like, uh, I, lo- I love them all. I love the. I mean... 
even things that were blindingly obvious from the beginning as an adult, like Doom being Doom just being real Doom who'd gone to the future, but at the time I was like, that exploded. Like, Darth is Luke's father and Doom is just Doom? How could this be? So I was I was big into it, and, you know, 10 years later, I don't know, it would have been the 10-year anniversary, I was already trying to break into comics, and Grant and uh, Frank were on New X-Men, and along with Ian Churchill and Joe Casey. And the line was so strong, I was like, if I want to break into Marvel, you know, lol, at age 15 or 16, but if I want to break into Marvel, uh, and I want to do X-Men, I couldn't possibly do anything that would be better than what Grant and Joe were doing. So the only thing I could do is to do a revamp of that scale on, you guessed it, X-Men 2099. Mm -hmm. So I... 20, for, uh, 20 years ago, I was already pitching uh, sort of a a, another look, a relaunch, a revamp of that line as my potential way in uh, that did not end up being my way in. Although I can tell you that the only thing I remember from that pitch and that script is that it was nearly identical because I was not a good writer at age 15. Um, some would say I'm not right now either, but I definitely wasn't at 15. Uh, and the opening was nearly identical to Frank and Mark Miller's opening when they were took over authority on their first issue, because again, I was not creative. I saw Frank Quentin on New X-Men, and I was like, oh, I should just do what he did on another book, uh, but with X-Men 2099 instead of Midnight or Apollo and all that stuff. So we had like Bloodhawk, like right down to like the scenes of like where Swift is like murdering soldiers from above. It was Bloodhawk was gonna be doing that. Uh, it's probably uh, better that I'm doing this now 20 years later. Then in 2001, I guess is what I'm saying. But uh, it is proof that I've had a long relationship with the world of 2099. And uh, the first issue's out. And like I said, people feel like the, the response has been super, super energizing. I'll tell you what, as a creator, having three books out in the same day, it's exciting, but it's also nerve-wracking. Having one book out is nerve-wracking enough. Mm. Uh, but whenever it was, two weeks ago, I guess now, um, I couldn't be happier with how everybody took stuff. Uh, I'm sure the edible I took helped later in the day, but <laughs> that's just the way. That's just the way it goes in Boston. But uh, but yeah, I like. And things are just going to get bigger with 2099. We sort of kicked this off uh, with the Alpha issue, but it's just been so exciting to do Marvel Cyberpunk and both be reverent towards the shit from 30 years ago, but also acknowledge that yeah, our view of the future has changed. Thirty years, and so we have to we have to update that too. Like, this is a celebration, not a look back. And and to me, that's the main that's the main goal of the book. We got the stuff you loved back then. We are weaving in the stuff that happened in between that was great. Um, especially that's something that's important to me because I try to respect all of my past collaborators. Uh, and so by the end, hopefully, you'll see you know at least some sort of explanation for the fact that there are no less than three twenty ninety nine timelines at minimum. Uh, and we're also looking ahead. Like, to me, that that's really how you celebrate an anniversary. So, and, and even more so when you're doing a book that has to be futuristic. Um, so, yeah, basically, I just, like, I, I am maybe the most excited for this to get in front of people, even more so than the readers. Every issue has something that's fucking cool, and and then the X-Men issue, like, I just, uh, I, can't even, I can't even talk about it, because, I, I, like, you probably have other questions, but that shit is so hot. And uh, it's coming soon. So, so I mean, you can ask me more things, but, like, I just, uh, Marvel has been incredibly supportive with a murderer's row of artists, and all these people are doing the work of their careers. So you have some wild shit coming. This show is brought to you by our Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash themarvelists. 
And on the $3 tier, you'll get access to episodes early and ad-free. The $5 tier gets you our two bonus shows. One, Fantastic Voyage, where we dissect and just talk about the 102 issues, one by one, although if it's a storyline more than one at a time, of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby's amazing, incredible, spectacular, invincible, and fantastic run of the Fantastic Four, the world's greatest comic magazine. And... Two, you haven't read that? A show dedicated to the comic books that I haven't read yet. Some Marvel, some DC, all fun. And on the $8 tier, pick a topic of your choosing, not a topping of your choice. Or perhaps you can be a guest on The Marvelists. Above all else, we thank you for your continued support. Well, I'm guessing that this is probably one, if not the first time that we are actually talking on this podcast about x-men 2099 i know we've mentioned of course first and foremost spider-man but the other ones like you said you love them all uh steve but uh, ghost rider hulk savage oh sorry ravage and how dare you i'm missing somebody (laughs) (laughs) hey that's peter's line uh yeah but there's uh i think i'm missing somebody in there as well is ravage involved uh I guess I should give you the real answer. Ravage is not involved. Well, A, because he's dead, because they're respecting all the continuity. I didn't even know he was sick. Yeah. Uh, But B, I I did, you know, without getting into it too much, there were hurdles there that were not related to the story. So that is a bummer uh, because I do uh, like that character. I do not like, you know, like the only, the only, not the only, but the most prominent original 2099 character. And he's co-created by Stan Lee. Um, but we, there were some hurdles there that I didn't expect. That said, uh, I believe his final appearance, he gets covered in adamantium uh, and shot into space. So he's busy. I got to tell you, that's how I'd want to go. That is how Wolverine went. or It's like half how he went, but he got better. <laughs> and in regards to the uh, 2099 line, just for a lot of fans out there, some fans don't know what 2099 is. And... You know, like their main introduction is going to be very soon the uh, Spider Verse sequel. But for yourself as a fan, what was the thing about 2099 that attracted you to it so much? I wish I had some sexy philosophical answer. <laughs> uh, but the reality is that when, I mean, 1992, Steve Orlando was seven years old, and that shit was just cool as fuck. There's nothing else to say. <laughs> the designs were like to this day, Miguel has one of the best Spider Man designs ever. You know, like it was just top tier talent doing incredibly sleek work. And now, again, we look back and we're like, oh, some of this looks a little dated, but it didn't feel dated in the 90s. It was a 90s view of what the future would be. Uh, and that, you know, those are the things that it's our job to sort of get a little polished to now, 30 years later. But, like, I mean, I, again, I, I wish I, I, you know, as an adult, I love it because you go back and read the stuff from the 90s and so much of it is prescient, right? right. Pardon me, like the corporate, like, the corporate oligarchs, uh, obviously that's just our world now. And, and a lot of the things in the first issue, and, and the, I mean, the core of the story is, is Miguel fighting against these, these, again, these corporate overlords, the very type of people that used him as a, as a lab rat, turned him into Spider-Man. But even in the old books, they had this, this wealth-based hierarchy of power where if you had a different, you know, where if you had a black card, you were above the law. Uh, that, I mean, they made it, made it up 30 years ago. And it's one of the core tenets of the book now because it's more, uh, it's more precious than ever right now. Uh, and so, yeah, at the end of the day, like, it, it is 
It is Miguel fighting against uh, the Cabal and the Masters of Evil of the future, uh, who, thanks to their wealth, have basically made themselves uh, functionally the gods of 2099. They're mortals, but they can come down and do purge-style shit whenever they want uh, because nobody can stop them. Uh, and, and, and you'll see that play out throughout the book. Um, but I, when I was doing my research and reading back these issues, you know, this, that idea is 30 years old, but it feels like it could have happened today. It feels like they could have been commenting on today. And there's so much of that to find in the original, in the original uh, line um, that I do think there's more to it. You know, when you go back and read now, even if the ideas are sort of rough, uh, like so much was ahead of its time, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, so I think there's a joy in going back and looking at that now as an adult. But as a kid, I wish I could tell you that I was like, oh, this is this is so intellectually stimulating. Oh, this shit was just awesome looking. Uh, the toys were awesome looking, uh, and I wanted to know more. So you know, obviously, taste change, points of view change. Now I have an appreciation for it in a different way. But hopefully, we can make stuff that is both cool as fuck and intellectually stimulating for the 30th anniversary. So sorry for the delay, but I happened to think of another one that was Punisher. And, of course, you mentioned Doom, so I think that's all the characters from 2099 that we had then. And uh, you, could, you could be right. Um, you, you could be right. I think, I don't remember, the other thing is that I was, on, I was getting comics in Walden books in the 90s, so I have no idea what order things were released in. We didn't get a comic store in my local town for the late 90s. So, um, yeah, like the, the, people always wonder why I'm a deep cut guy because I learned comics from uh, comic characters from back issues and non-sports trading card sets. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I didn't know who was like the more popular character or not until the late '90s. You know, this is why I'm like, oh, when is Mojo Two coming back? And everybody's like, fuck <laughs> Mojo Two. Um, but to the end of the to, the to to the end, I'll be like Mojo Two. Let's get him. He's the sexy one. And in regards to uh, the 2099 line, just. The fact that in the next few years, more and more people are going to know Miguel O'Hara on par with like a Miles Morales, a Peter Parker, you know, just it's those names are going to be up there now. You know, it's like it used to be hush hush names of like in geek culture, but now they're going to be prevalent soon. I mean, and I'm excited for it because they are all different, right? Like I... I mean, you'll see as the issue plays out, but I think there is, I mean, when you go back and, and, and read through, well, I shouldn't say the Peter David stuff. I mean, Peter David's written probably 95% of Miguel, so it's just, when you just go back and look at Miguel, um, his motivation is similar to Peter, but I do think his wit was always a little more cutting uh, and a little less dad joke, for, la- for lack of a better term. So we're trying to, like, put that in the book, where, and even compared to Miles, too, like, he might be the scariest of those three, you know, for, for lack of a better phrase. Obviously, some of it is bullshit. I mean, he tries to drink someone's blood in the first issue, which, of course, he doesn't do, but they don't know that. Hashtag Morbius uh, Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> he has to suck their plasma with his hand suckers. No. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, I think Mile is maybe, maybe the hardest edge of those three. He's not a cruel man, but I think his life has made him a little, uh, his wit a little colder. Um, and at the same time, I think he's still incredibly driven. He has that core, like every man personality that to me, regardless of what universe or multiverse or from method makes a spider character. And in regards to, you know, working on Spider-Man 2099 now, do you speak at all with Peter David about, you know, the work that he did on there, you know, to speak to the, uh, the 2099 hyphen father? 
instead of Godfather. Ha ha ha, Peter. Anyway. Uh, I mean, Peter and I haven't spoken. I mean, I would happily if I ran into ran into him at a show, uh, do so and things like that. But, you know, how can I say this? The, the work should speak for itself, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I what I look for when someone is following my work on a book is not that they have called me to consult with me. Because to be honest, like, um, yeah, I've had my time on that on that book and on that character. But what I'm looking for is respect for the stuff I did and, 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 to, and, and to grow out of the stuff I did. And that's obviously happening in, in this series, which is, you know, and not just for Peter, but for everybody involved in the in the original 2099 line and even the events that have come since. Like I said, my hope is to unify it all in some small way. Um, so I'm doing with his work in Miguel, what I hope people do with my own work. Uh, you know, I don't necessarily expect or need to be involved, for example, in what's coming up on Wonder Woman, because even though I had a fairly long run in that book, what's exciting for me and as a reader, not just as a creator, is to see the stuff that I set up extrapolated out uh, and played out in the hands of other creators. That's almost when it becomes more real to me. So, uh, yeah, and that's going on, by the way, in that book, with Trial of the Amazons and things like that, that are playing off Faruka and Atalanta. But this is a Marvel podcast, enough about that. Um, the point being, I'm doing what I would want done to my own work uh, in regards to that and everybody involved in 2099. Because Peter is obviously an icon, but he's not the only one uh, he, that was involved in all of these, in all these series. So um, John Francis Moore, off the top of my head, I believe is the X-Men 2099 writer, for example. Um, Thank you for the but, kind words, but of Colin. We are we are giving love to all that stuff, and again, I can only do what I would want to have done with if the worlds were reversed, you know. And I will always do that. Well, first off, thank you for the kind words of calling me an icon. I, you know, it's it's very humbling to hear that. But I digress. Um, no, uh, one thing also with the 2099 universe, the fact that like you know Eddie mentioned off all the characters in there, and it got me thinking, how many. You know, there's not a 2099 equivalent of so-and-so and so-and-so. But I'm surprised, you know, we haven't seen an Avengers 2099 or an Iron Man 2099, etc. I know there are, like, there's Deadpool 2099 now. There's uh, Daredevil 2099 in the, that took place in, like, 98 or 97 or something. But we really don't see, uh, you know, like, a super team for them, truly. Well, you sure will in this run, I guess is all I can say. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's good, because I was going to ask, can you tell, is it too early to ask other 2099 characters that we could look forward to seeing? Uh, well, I mean, I'm just trying to think about what's not a spoiler. Will uh, there be Savio well, I mean, Vega yes, 2099? So, so, well, no, but I can say the things that are said in the solicits. So, yes, I mean, each issue in the, in the, in the middle run will uh, feature Miguel, but also focus on either someone who's returning or be a new introduction. So you will see a new Winter Soldier. You'll see uh, a, 2099, a true 2099 version of Loki, because the original Loki was like a corporate goon with delusions of grandeur. You will see the Avengers. You'll see X-Men old, new, and different. Uh, you'll see the Black Widow, um, and you'll see a lot more than that, but those are the top-line characters that are on the cover, so those are the ones that I can talk about. And I'm going to take a wild guess that after uh, July, we will not be seeing the return of Conan 2099 either. Uh, it's a fair guess. Uh, uh, it's a fair guess. But, uh, you, but, but, but you might see, what, what, was the, what was the definitely not Conan character he played in the Red Sonja movie? That would be so cruel, wouldn't it, if, if Marvel just started publishing that guy instead? Wasn't you, know, it, you know what I'm talking about? Wasn't, wasn't he called like, Crom or something? Crom no, was the it was gun- way yeah. dumber. 
But they did use Krull. Wasn't it Cull or Krull? Well, Cull was another title and character, it was, yes. It was Lord Kalidor. Oh, okay. Didn't know. <laughs> so weird. <laughs> and again... And actually, the funny thing is, is that Sandal Bergman was also in Red Sonia as right. a different character, and she's in Conan. She's the thief from Conan. Okay. But she's also Queen Gedrin in Red Sonja. Anyway, this is a non sequitur. But Lord Calador, <laughs> definitely not coming to Marvel, but I think it would be funny. Now, what about uh, Savio Vega 2099? Will we, will we be featuring him in his red shirt? Are you my legal team when I do that? Eh, why not? I'll talk, I'll talk to Tio Savio. We'll figure it out. Now, in regards also to the 2099 what is the thing that fans of the original pre-existing line can look most forward to that, you know, the heart of that that you can still see in the new stuff? I mean, we're going to be taking a, we We're not overwriting, first of all, anything that happened 30 years ago. Uh, but we are certainly taking that, those sort of core themes and blowing them up for a modern context. And, and, and my, our hope is that, you know, you'll see all of the parts you loved uh, I mean, barn characters that are just straight up dead. Uh, you will you will see all the things you loved uh, from the '90s runs. You'll see the best of the series that happened in between, um, and you'll also like get a roadmap for what might come next. You know, so for people who've been with it for the long haul, um, you know, hopefully you get to see a lot of character traits pay off in a very big way on a very grand scale because this is sort of a, a 2099 event series uh, led by led by Miguel. And then, yeah, you know, you'll see the characters you love in new positions uh, with, with with new missions by the end, and hopefully that hopefully that is exciting, and, and you can see the way forward. Holding the line at twenty ninety nine. Wait, that sounds like something else. Wait, you just got rid of Dan. You can't do that. <laughs> a reference to Dan DiDio on a previous podcast. So now, also, in regards to working on the uh, 2099 line, you're also doing stuff over at the X line in regards to, I believe, Marauders? Uh, Marauders, and of course, obviously, the, uh, the, the, Nyla, the book with Nyla Rose, and a couple other things on the Unlimited uh, that are just trickling out as well. What, how is it writing for the Unlimited line of uh, books on the Marvel Unlimited app? Like, uh, well... It's totally different, uh, but I find it's, you know, like anything it's different, I find it really creatively stimulating. Uh, you know, so writing for the vertical is almost like, well, not almost like, you're, you're, you're basically writing a comic strip, not a comic book. Uh, and so it's not better or worse, it's just totally different. But as someone who's never done a lot of comic strip work, uh, for me it's been really, really energizing. Yeah, because I've seen stuff like the uh, Jeff the Landshark uh, comic, and which, by the way, is friggin' adorable. But um, just, you know, there's something cool about seeing how you can tell these stories in so many different ways, and I feel like, you know, changing out of the uh, the whole horizontal element and going over into vertical is, it ha leads to so many more storytelling techniques as well that you may not even realize you had in there, you know? Uh, I mean, that's the thing. You it pushes you to find the exact things you're talking about, right? Yeah. Like, how do you make a moment hit when, I mean, functionally you can't have a splash page. Uh, I mean, you can, of course, like Declan did some cool things with that where the, the pages just kept on going, you know, like, like the panels just kept on going. 
But in general, like all the panels are the same size, so you lose a lot of toys. But I think you gain you gain different ones, and it's just about finding. It's yeah, as with anything, um, you know, like if I was doing a, a widescreen book like Marvel, I don't know if you remember the the format they had in the early 2000s where you turned the book a different way and it became widescreen. I do. Mm. Uh, like you know, it, it's all just about maximizing your utility in any of these formats. I've loved doing the verticals. Uh, so, so in this case, I, I'm really excited about this specific format. I, uh, folks have seen my first issue of X-Men green. Uh, there will be a lot more, uh, wild stuff coming, but yeah, it's been a blast. It's been totally unexpected because I wasn't sure how it was going to be like anything until you get in there and get in the trenches. Well, I don't know for anybody else uh, listening or otherwise, but I'm thinking I'm getting a rekindling interest in the 2099 stuff and have to go dig it out. You should, you should, uh, and and if you do, especially the original ones, I think you'll be I think you'll be surprised uh, how ahead of its time a lot of it is. You look at Rick Leonardi's art alone on uh, 20, Spider-Man 2099, and it it still slaps. Like there's just some amazing looking stuff in there. Uh, I mean, Leonardi is is a killer. Uh, and by the way, I also think Ron Lim still has incredible energy. He's he's drawn stuff right now, uh, including variants for this series, and, and the dude's still the dude's still a master. Do you have a uh, so you have Lim doing variants? Is uh, Leonardi doing as well? He is not, uh, but we do have, like I said, we have Ron, and we have off the top of my head also Ken Lashley is doing covers for each series as well as Ryan Stegman. Uh, and I know there's a lot of surprises in there too when it comes to when it comes to retailer and, and different kinds of variants. How does it feel, by the way, when you do a project and you have an artist that you admired when you were a kid, you know, collaborating with you either on a variant cover, a regular cover, or even the interiors itself? Uh, surreal, you know. And and you just you're like the, your main goal, I think, is to try to. I'm just hoping not to piss them off, you know. <laughs> like, don't think I'm an asshole. Uh, which is hard for some people, um, <laughs> but no, I mean it is. It, it, it's surreal. Uh, at the same time, I mean, and, and it should be. You have to approach these people with. Well, that's the thing. You have to always approach whether you were a fan as a reader or it's, it's the first time when you meet him for the first time with respect to the collaborator. But I think there's there's a certain like. Um, you should always be pushed to bring your A game, but when you're working with a childhood hero, like it's it's twice and three times over. You know, and it's funny you say that because I had that experience with Rick Leonardi, but it wasn't on 2099. It was on the Sandman special we did uh, for Kirk, for the King Kirby's 100th birthday, and I did get to work with Rick. And similarly, I was like, oh, like I, I got to come up with. I mean, you know, this, this has to be the hottest shit ever because you know he's going to do an amazing job, and he did. Yeah, I was going to say probably for you, see, that would have been surreal or nail biting or nerve wracking to be on that uh, special landmark event. Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel very strongly about Jack Kirby, and the funny thing is, you know, like I was talking about the trading cards, I also feel strongly about characters others don't, so there was not a huge fight for Jack Kirby's version of Sandman, but I was first in line along with Dan Jurgens, and then, uh, well, we ended up splitting the book, so, um, and you'll see, you know, they, uh, I'm sure it would have been that way were I to be at Marvel at the time, too, I would have been the one doing like a, like a Triton book or something, like, uh, and, and, and. I would have been the most excited about it, but yeah, I mean, again, it's I, like I wrote in the intro for the my part of the commanding challenge, which we also did for for Kirby's birthday, centennial birthday. Um, you know, you're you're. It is to me as a creator, like anytime you touch these these characters created by the greats, it's an honor. You know, like 
And it'll be that way. I mean, look, why do you think I? Why do you think Black Bolt is in what was supposed to be my first Marvel work, right? Uh, we're here because of guys like 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 the King. And yeah, I mean, it's always going to be me pushing to celebrate stuff like that. It's kind of funny because you know, with the whole thing with the Inhumans, I when you know we do our uh, side show, the Fantastic Voyage, where we cover all the issues of the Fantastic Four over on our Patreon. And one of the things about it is discovering. I remember on my first read through. I hated the Inhumans. I was just like, these characters are boring, whatever. Second go through, I'm like, I like these guys. Like, there's just something about them and that energy that those characters bring to the overall tapestry of the Marvel Universe. Yeah, I mean, I think that they have never, they're a bit more esoteric than than characters like the X-Men. I mean, despite having a similar background. So I think that they've always struggled for their mainstream niche, but I also think that they're like a creator's character, right? Like I, I, I we root for the Inhumans. There's a list of characters like every creator wants to swing at that maybe in the mainstream are not wildly popular. They're on it. Uh, and, and, and trust me, I'd be there in a second for them because yeah, I'd like, I, I, I just love how like, I love the core primal conceits of this royal family, especially especially someone like Black Bolt, where you know he has this incredible power, but it's also an incredible hindrance. To me, that's like the classic comic book character, and uh, hopefully, I get to do more with him and Medusa, especially someday. Because yeah, I am a huge fan. I think they could be bigger than they are. I think a lot of creators do, but um, whether they are or not, I certainly want my shot at it, uh, and and hopefully, you guys get to see that. We are definitely looking forward to what's happening in the world of 2099 universe, if nothing else. And uh, Steve Orlando, greatly appreciate you talking to us and being a repeat visitor and guest on The Marvelists. That's my pleasure. Now, Steve, before we go, how can people get a hold of you on them, our social medias? Uh, it's real easy. I'm on Instagram at the Steve Orlando, and I'm on Twitter at Steve Orlando. For The Marvelists, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Steve Orlando. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!